0: Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to A beautiful Podcast. I'm your host, Spring developer advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to another installment of A beautiful Podcast. How are you this fine 18th of January? I cannot believe it. Uh, it is. We are closer to February than we are at the beginning of January. It always blows my mind how quickly time seems to move these days. Uh, and uh, this is one such occasion. I was just in Europe, albeit for a vacation uh the caribbean technically but i was in france and in the netherlands the dutch and french caribbean uh for vacation not even a week ago and now i'm back uh in the continent uh, the european continent i'm in switzerland uh and uh yeah it's good i'm I'm here for ticino's the voxed dev days uh vox day yeah vox days ticino event now ticino is one of the uh, Italian speaking cities of Switzerland, you know, Switzerland has, um, German, French and Italian populations, sort of like how Belgium has, um, German, French and, um, Dutch or uh, a flavor of it called Flemish speaking populations. Right. And, um, and so it's just a very interesting polyglot city, but, uh, I haven't I haven't done a lot of travel since, or at least not out of my main time zone, since last year. So I did this flight this morning, and I took a train, a lovely train from the beautiful Italian city of, you know, in actually Italy, of uh, Milan, or Milano, and uh, I took that train all the way to Lugano in Switzerland, the Italian city of Lugano, well, the Swiss city. With Italian speakers called Lucano, and uh, and then I because I was asleep, <laughs> I, I ended up an hour further out uh, in the uh, Swiss Alps, which was um, yeah, that's kind of fun. That's kind of a cool thing to be able to do. You can't like f- take an hour long nap on a on a train in California and end up in like the Grand Canyon. First of all, because we don't have trains, uh, very very uh, we don't have a lot of trains anyway. And uh, we don't have any routes serving Las Vegas from California. Uh, and also, it's just not that close. It's also spread out. So the idea that I can end up so far from civilization, out in the middle of literally just like a, a few—I don't know—there must have been like thirty homes there. I don't know. It was very, very small, just out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that—that uh, that was just an, a little bit of an adventure, a little bit of an adventure. But I'm here. I'm in uh, Switzerland. I'm ready. Tomorrow's a big show. It's gonna be a lot of fun uh and then i'm off to uh vox days cern which is near geneva this the french uh speaking chunk of uh switzerland so either way it's gonna be a lot of fun very very i'm really excited about both events this is my first time in lugano it'll be my second time at at the vox days cern event but it's cern i mean it's like better than disneyland it's you know i'm it is that cern if C E R N, all caps right it's the um the um it's where they have the super collider and all that stuff, right? Uh just the physics laboratory of 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 world renown. Um and I'm just I it's it is the coolest experience, you know? It is so cool. So uh, I get two wonderful things out of this trip. A brand new beautiful city, which by the way, um Lugano is stunning. Just just stunning. It looks like something out of a video game. It is, it's like somebody CGI'd the sweeping clouds and the hills and the the homes sprinkling the hills and ascending into the heavens. And I, I came out of the train station here. and I just like, oh, I mean, I couldn't. Oh, man. What if I if I wasn't awake then, I was certainly awake afterwards after I after I saw that view. Absolutely amazing. um So uh, where are we, my friends today? Uh, this week has been a lot of, I mean, you know, the event. This will be my first chance to try out a new version of my talk um on spring boot 3 dot .x that's implied but dot .x uh where I now get to look at um you know the latest and greatest and and I'm 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 kind of doing a de-rest I'm I'm actually sitting here before the uh show it's it's thursday but this, the show's tomorrow and friday I'm sitting here just doing a dry run and I'm changing some things I'm just really excited I mean I think this is going to be my first attempt uh with uh Spring Data JDBC. I mean, this is the first attempt at this particular permutation with Spring Data JDBC, S- Spring Modulates, uh, GraalVM, Docker Compose. Um, although I wonder what's gonna happen, by the way. You, you know our friends over at Atomic Jar just got acquired, right? So they're now part of Docker. Does that mean that it's gonna be Docker test containers? So now I'll have to, I, I mean, it'll be, Could I just say Docker? Parentheses, test containers, comma, compose parentheses, and have that work. I don't know, but uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm using Docker compose for this particular run of the code, and um, and uh, GraalVM, the actuator, you know, the web stuff, uh, Postgres because I love Postgres, uh, uh, you know, GraphQL, a lot of stuff, but it's it's the modules and the Spring Data JDBC, and you know, I'm just really excited. I think it's gonna be a a fun free re- roaming discussion uh of lots of cool stuff and uh, i hope you get to see a version of that talk sometime soon in uh whatever city i happen to be in where i'm giving it and of course online i'll be doing a number of those so it'll just be good it'll be a really fun time um yeah i'll let you know how it goes next week i'm, I'm sure it'll be okay right it'll, it'll be fine speaking of free roaming friends oh friends do we have a guest for you today um I wanted to talk to my friend uh, and fellow Java champion uh, Ted Neward uh, about Kotlin, and uh, and we did. We talked about it for. There's definitely Kotlin in the conversation. Okay, that's that's a that it's factually the case that we did talk about Kotlin. Uh, but there's also he's he's been described as a language archaeologist, and um, and so that's it's self evident in that. And just in the incredible repertoire of knowledge and insight that I got from this conversation. So without further ado, friends, um, I hope you enjoy. Ciao. Auf uh, ala A la prochaine. Wish me luck. First talk of the new year. Let's go. It's going to be great. All right, everybody. Uh, talk to you. Talk to you soon. See you next week.
1: There we go. There we go. Sorry we go. about
0: that, everybody. Oh, what an in, incredible journey. I'm sorry. This is a... Uh, I I want to say it's usually better, but it's it's not my it's, <laughs> <laughs> I love my audience because I've set a very low bar and it's still we're still okay. Um but uh, today I'm doing pretty good. I got I got Ted Effing Neward. That's your middle name, I'm sure.
1: <clears throat> yes, yes, that is that is exactly what is printed on the birth certificate? Because my mom and my dad were, you know, arguing over what my middle name should be, and finally they just said F it," and that's what yeah. they put on there.
0: Checks out. Um, no, I mean, you're, uh, So I,
1: I have find your center. Find your. No, I'm I'm a huge mm. Ed Neward fan,
0: and I work primarily in uh, in Java. But I know that there are Josh Doppelgangers and a number of other communities that could say the same, that they are huge uh, Ted Neward fans because you're one of those polyglots that I keep hearing stories about but I've never encountered, uh, except in the hypotheticals, you know, you and Vin Kep.
1: Yeah. And so, um, <clears throat> so to say you're yeah, busy really is I, an understatement. Well, to say that I, I know a lot of stuff, that's true busy that's a completely different story right um, you know i was one of the uh, i was one of the victims of the economy in 2022 and i'm still looking to climb back onto the uh, the the cycle and and you know find that next big thing um, so you know busy uh, right now teaching at the university of washington teaching android this quarter and ios next quarter and then wow. um yeah yeah, so
0: I would I can you imagine because that's that's that uh how do I put this delicately people are paying for one unit of that course with you what they would normally pay for just a couple of days workshop with you in another context you know like they're getting a whole semester with Ted F Neward that is uh I, I wish I could be there I would I would temporarily relocate to, to your state, which well, I privacy was concerned, N- name.
1: <laughs> well, I did say the University of Washington, so that does kind of oh. give it away. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, to all those <laughs> who are desperately interested in stalking me, yes, I live in Washington State, and oh. I live in the Seattle area, and if you really want to drive around the, uh, you know, the entire Seattle area looking for me, Good luck. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, worth, I mean, not that. well, I mean, I love Seattle. Uh, I yeah. used to live in Northern California. I used to live in Southern California, right. um, and um, I'm I'm home. I like I like this place. I like the the people up here. Um, I like the tech sector up here. Um, there's a lot of things to like about up here. So, yeah. Um, right. Hmm. No, the funny, the funny thing that you were you were talking about, Josh. You know, you would pay money just to sit in the class. My college students, they have no idea who I am. They have no, what? no freaking clue. They're just like, okay, some old dude with with white in his beard is in front of the room and he's talking to us about and. I get more of a response after, like, after they graduate and be out in the industry for a while and then they'll ping me over LinkedIn, <laughs> and they're like, wow, so you like actually are kind of, I, I had somebody go, you're kind <laughs> of a big deal. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, I suppose, I don't know.
0: I mean, um, so I'm a big fan and even I, uh, you know, it happens a lot, especially with you and people who are as prolific as you. I will Google something and I find an article, sometimes twenty years old. I'm like, oh, that's really useful. I wonder who wrote this. Oh, it's Ted. I I should send that guy a thanks. <laughs> like, like whatever. Just something from late '90s, or whatever, on Java or IBM or you know the some blog. And of course, it might be on .net. I, I love that you have this incredible presence in the .net community and now in the .com community. And apparently, you're doing iOS as well. That's super cool. <clears throat>
1: Yeah, and and truthfully, um, you know, .NET and Java are really the two communities that I have any presence whatsoever, right? If you walk into a room full of Kotlin developers, you know, I'm not a GDE, right? Google Dev expert. Um, and, you know, I mean, certainly the folks over at JetBrains know who I am because, you know, we've sure. been we've been talking for years. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just a guy as far as a lot of these other places, right? We go to the Seattle JavaScript, meet, you know, user group here in, in the Seattle area. Uh, I was there last yeah. week and most of the people in the room are like, who are you? Oh yeah. You're not, you're not Kent Dobbs. You're not, you know, you're not some of the names that we've recognized. You're not on YouTube. Okay. Whatever. You know, you're just, you are now. Guy yeah. So um, and, and truthfully, um, you know, I I, don't mind right i kind of you know it's it's there's a certain point where um you don't want to be you don't want to be like the the you know the one that everybody in the room is is hanging on their every word you don't want to be the the uber popular you know there was a time i absolutely wanted to be that in any technology community that i was in yeah and now it's like actually kind of more fun to let other, other people have the stage and let other people you know uh do that's part of the reason why I made the shift to management right I actually yeah. run teams more than I do code and um because I like you know I like building out people I like watching my teams get better I like watching the you know the people that I have mentored <clears throat> I like watching my college students go on and do you know various things one of them actually created a startup that got bought by Riot Games uh, a year or two nice. ago and I'm like Dude you know massive payout he's like most of the payout covers our expenses so small payout but I'm like still you have Good a you? you have one more successful exit under your belt than I do and you know we laughed about that so you know that that to me is is kind of the more fun and I mean I still you know I still code and I still you know obviously if you're gonna go teach. Mobile development, you have to be able to code your way out of a Kotlin sized paper bag and code your way out of a Swift sized paper bag. But um, you know, I'm not I'm not gonna stand up here and say that I'm any kind of Kotlin expert, not in any stretch of the imagination. And there are occasionally things that you know, Kotlin still surprises me. Like, oh, they added that? Okay, that's kinda cool. All right. So here
0: here's where I you and I are one of the reasons why uh, people do hang on your words uh, when you go to shows because you're one of those people that can walk around at a Java conference and I've known you for, you know, I mean, I've, I've appreciated you and known of your work a lot longer than you've known <laughs> me, certainly, uh, but I, I've known Wait, you for- Wait, uh,
1: was that you hiding in my garage back when I was living in Northern California? Were you stalking me back then? No, that started- I'm teasing maybe. you, Josh. I'm teasing you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: no, I, but I've, I've been- I, I'd say we've been friends for- at least a decade now, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 uh, I can, I started being visible in the community in, in 2010. So now I don't know where we, I'm sure we. I would have been, because I have old Geekon photos of you from when I was yeah. like several sizes thinner, you know, and I had more
1: of this. I, I, one of my, one of my first memories of you and me hanging out was an event where I think I think you brought your mom with you or yeah. was it Yeah, yeah. And been, so yeah. and I think it was I think it was over in Europe. And we in were hanging Poland out to Russia Uh it wasn't Russia. I've only been to Russia once. Um I think it was Poland. Yeah, Poland, Poland, Poland. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Poland. Yeah. <laughs> One of those, right? There have been a couple before DevOps kind of seems to have swept the stage. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was one of those because it was it was a smaller event, and you know we were hanging out for dinner and and so forth. And it was like, oh, that's really cool. Because yeah. I think that was one of the times when I didn't bring my wife with me, which I often like to do. You know, for many of the same reasons, it's more fun to do an event with somebody than without.
0: Also, my my dear sainted mother, my goodness, she's a, you know, my I I don't know if I told you this, I'll I'll share with y'all. My father, uh he my I, I've got two dads. I've got like my mom's husband and my second dad basically and my first dad uh he passed away in 2019 both of them are the best people ever i don't deserve either of them but somehow i got both of them that all that said uh my first father you know he was 81 when he passed away in 2019 so you can imagine the years uh you know he was he's was getting up there and so i i in 2012 he'd never been out of the country whereas i had been out of the country um yeah and my parents and, and that's because they were like they worked, lots of work. They had lots of jobs and worked hard. And they were we weren't particularly affluent or or even middle class. We were like low low middle class. I weren't. I don't know, it's not like not like we were like a Sarah McLachlan commercial away from food, but um, you know, we were. It wasn't. But 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 still, it was like low middle class, you know. And like
1: uh,
0: right. I didn't. They weren't on flights to destination vacations in Europe or whatever. So I, I took my dad with me in twenty twelve but he could still walk, uh, and we went to top and bottom of Europe. We went to, we went to Stockholm and then to uh, Spain, Madrid, um, you know, the, <laughs> and yeah. the two extremes you could never get, right? And um, and we had a grand old time, and I was like, okay, I'm glad I did that because then a few years later, he became uh, sort of intractably sort of homebound, you know, and um, yeah. And then my mom, I, same thing. And I, I took my mom with me a, a few, like a year later. Uh, I took her to France and London, which of course, you know, your starter pack for Europe if you're gonna
1: right, right, it. right, right. All right,
0: it's the closest thing to Disneyland, you know. Like, and then, uh, and then from there, my mom, she liked it, but she wanted to go to <laughs> she, again. I, I don't know for people who are watching you got to understand there are there's a there are, there's a whole generation of people here who never thought people would set foot on the moon or that people would set foot in America or that Americans would set foot in Russia that that is the same as the moon it is it is north korea to them it it is or cuba yeah. people yeah. that's another thing people don't realize in america there's a whole generations of people that
1: never thought they'd get to go to cuba since the 60s oh well This is this is where my my international relations history background comes into play, because I was one of those who thought I'd never set foot in Russia because I was born in the early 70s. So I grew up during the height of the Cold War, etc. And my grandfather did a round the world tour, which included a stint in Moscow. And he tells us, well, told because he's passed away now, but he told the story of how they were out, you know, with their tour group and they were seeing various things. And he had a camera around his neck and they were told no pictures, no pictures. But my grandfather, who just, you know, he's such a contrarian ass. He really is. He's just kind of doing this as he's moving around. Right. Just, you know, well. They get back to the hotel. They go downstairs for lunch. When he comes back to his hotel room, his camera is opened and all the film from their luggage is gone.
0: Wow. They were not
1: kidding. They were really not kidding. And obviously somebody spotted him and reported it and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, that was that was Soviet Russia and then of course you know the wall comes down and you know the the fall of communism and blah 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 and the you know the, the the in between then and now right because now arguably we're getting closer back to soviet era russia which is a whole different political discussion we won't dive into yeah. but one of the one of the fun things was going to uh, saint petersburg uh, what, what, what I grew up with is knowing as Leningrad, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, doing JokerCon Joker out there, which was a great event. And I really enjoyed it and I met some fantastic people while I was in Russia and felt, yeah. you know, really bad for them when all of the, you know, when Putin started exerting more and more control over the country. Um, I don't like the country, but a lot of the people there, I really, really enjoyed and, uh, you know. there's a lot of places in the world that I thought I would never set foot in that, you know, things have conspired. Yeah.
0: Well, So this is the same, same exact. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it because it's like, I don't know if I'll ever go there again. You know, who knows what the future looks like. It's just weird, but I'm glad my mom got to set foot there and meet some people and make friends. And, uh, you know, it's just, it is so the world is, I mean, and again, you and I are, different generations and certainly our parents are different generations than us uh and yet you know the, like the windows of opportunity to connect and all that it's just weird so i'm glad i brought my I'm, I, i've only brought my parents on a few trips but it meant the world to them because they just yeah they haven't yeah. really leave the country
1: well so the nice thing is go ahead go ahead your mom
0: no she's still around i'm there she she could conceivably go on more trips with me if we uh we yeah yeah
1: to yeah one nice thing, my folks are both still around, right, you know, and, um, you know, both of them, again, delightful people, right? You know, yeah. you mentioned that I do a lot of stuff in the .NET space. Microsoft has had, pre-pandemic, an annual event up here in Redmond, um, and I would frequently have a bunch of folks over to my house as part of a, hey, everybody's in town, let's party, well, the last couple of years before the pandemic, my folks actually came out because they kept hearing about this party where we would you know, make a whole bunch of food and 200 people would show up at the house and we would have kind of a raging party. And so my folks have had the opportunity to meet a ton of these geeks from all over the world, you know, including like Swedish, um, <laughs> the Swedish MVPs, the Microsoft Valued Professionals. That brought with them a bottle of wormwood schnapps, which is the most terrible thing ever. Don't drink it; it's just awful. But they had printed up little slips of like a Swedish drinking song. They had printed it phonetically, and they were <laughs> insisting that everybody had to sing this Swedish drinking song. And I swear to God, it sounded like the Swedish Chef from the Muppets. You flur the you hear to hurt to heard it, hurt, and then you shoot this thing and die because wormwood schnapps is awful. It's terrible, um, but is this you know, a PHP those story? Are, is
0: this is this the preamble to a PHP uh, story? I would
1: not. I would. I, you uh, you owe me an apology, sir. I would never sully this show with anything PHP. I made uh, sure to clear all PHP off of my screen, well you know, uh, before. So, okay. I thought you knew um, me better than that, Joshua Long. I I I can't. I can't.
0: Uh no so okay my friend look I, I all, all that to say you're uh an international uh, um known quantity for obvious reasons and and part of this, is you're just sort of deep in these amazing communities I love the .net community I love C sharp the language in particular I think that's a beautiful language and I I'm I'm keen on your perspective having learned and worked with uh, C sharp on something like Kotlin, because to me, it feels like Kotlin is as close as we come to the glory that is the C-Sharp language uh, on the JVM,
1: you know? I uh, all, all of my .NET friends, uh, if you're watching this, please cover your ears. Um, I have grown a little disenchanted with the C-Sharp language. They keep piling too much stuff into it, to be blunt. Um, <laughs> Kotlin actually Kotlin is striking a good path in terms of how it approaches and how much of how much of what we do should be in a library uh, or should be syntactically flexible versus how much should actually be baked into the language um, yeah R- Richard L Burton here says reminds me of what happens with Scala there's a lot of similarities there it really is. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, the 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 C sharp language designers, in many respects, they keep they keep finding new and interesting things and they're like, ooh, let's put that in. Let's put that in. Let's put this other thing right. in. And so, you know, they they haven't they haven't published a C sharp language specification since C sharp four, I think. Yeah. And so, I'm pretty sure well, they're up to eight or nine or, or whatever now. I mean, you know, 11 or 12. And that's the other thing is the numbering system is completely screwed up. It's really hard to know what version of the language you're using at any one given point. But I mean, they've just, they've folded so many different things in. And <clears throat> Colin Colin has resisted that urge. It would be tempting, right? to say, oh yeah, bright, shiny new toy. Let's throw it in here and, and go. And they've really resisted that urge. And in many cases, what Kotlin has done, you know, I mean, partly because they've been, um, you know, they've added some of the flexibility around, for example, you know, if it can be inferred without them, Kotlin will let you leave out the dot and the prints, which means now we can introduce things that look like keywords, but they're not. They're just extension it's, methods. Yeah. yeah, all of that stuff, right? And so, um, you know, that... That actually makes the language longer lived and less less top heavy, less. And so, you know, yeah, there were a lot of things that C sharp introduced, particularly C sharp three, C sharp four. I think was kind of pinnacle of the language. And um, you know, we can oh, argue yeah. about async. Yeah, link was introduced in C sharp three, right? Right. Um, and. We can argue a little bit about five, um, but then after that, it really starts to feel like they're, you know, they're sort of on a on a runaway trolley headed downhill because they just keep adding more stuff. And in many cases, all it's doing is adding a synonym for doing something you could already do. And well, so-
0: Okay. What do you think of Java's reason growth spurts?
1: So, first of all, i need to state for the record your honor that brian gets is a friend of mine um okay. you know and brian and i had had I some conversations well i mean just you know full disclosure here right um uh-huh. you, you, you tend to be a little biased by things that things your friends are doing etc um and brian's a brian's a ridiculously smart guy and i think his his approach to all of this has been more measured it's been more reluctant more conservative yep. Um, and I think what you see them doing is very slowly and cautiously, you know, approaching, they look at everything that is being done everywhere. Right. You know, I remember sitting in the hotel lobby with him in Germany, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, talking about some of the various things that Scala was introducing. And he's like, yeah, you know, I can see that that would be interesting. Uh, I can see. And this was before he was the Java language architect, if I remember. Um, you know, and, and, you know, one of the things, of course, you have to be careful with Java is all the backwards compatibility issues, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But, you know, you don't see them really rushing to embrace a lot of the things that would really significantly change the Java syntax. In many cases, they're being more measured and they're trying to avoid some of the, let's just throw a bunch more keywords into this and see what happens, right? Uh-huh. Um Now, I'll be the first to admit, right, both C-Sharp and Java, I haven't really tracked all of the proposed language changes and all of the the current language changes. I know Java is up to 21, but the last time I looked, for example, Java had still resisted the idea of, you know, introducing async and await keywords the way C-Sharp did, which then really sort of permeated slash polluted the rest of the .NET code base, because now every time you write a method you also have to write an async equivalent of that method and suffix it with async right Right. you know so if there's hello world there's hello world async just to be able to make sure that there's an asynchronous version and it's just blah right and java has resisted that i think that's deliberate i think they have you know made that decision to stay away what's up i
0: right. i am gonna do you one better i think that what Java has done is the absolute best version of this feature in any language out there. And and the only thing that comes even close is Go, uh, which, because Go had, when you write code that does a, a, a seemingly blocking thing behind the scenes, it's non blocking.
1: And that's been the case. Oh, the, yeah, the coroutines, go routines. Coroutines. Yeah.
0: But that, that's been the case since 1.0 and it's always been that way they didn't they java did something even more amazing which is that they've made it so that they can add this feature to a language that is nearly nigh on 30 years old and existing code but one little constructor change or one factory method change now benefits from that non-blocking nature that is that's far more impressive than starting from the get-go foreclosing on all those existing you know like go just started one and only had the one so of course it works nicely and consistently Java did that re- retroactively, it's just, oh, so good,
1: so good. Yeah, well, Huge. and you know, the seal. I mean, this is one of the fun things about being in both the Java and the .NET worlds, right, is you can see them sort of stealing from each other on a regular basis because yeah. the CLR had fibers, right? They, mm-hmm. they actually introduced similar capabilities or made provisions for the capabilities in the CLR back during the C-sharp .NET 2.0 era, because this was when they were putting the CLR inside the database, inside the SQL Server. And the SQL Server team, they had opinions, right? They wanted to control the garbage collector. They wanted to control how, how you know, threads were run and allocated. They, they wanted to control everything. You know, and so there were a bunch of hooks inside the CLR to be able to you know, get at that. And, you know, the .NET community went, ah, fibers. Yeah, we've had those at the operating system level for the longest time. And everybody kind of went, meh, and moved moved away, right? They just didn't care anymore. So the .NET folks kind of went, oh, okay, cool. Well, we'll just keep going with what we've done. I hope the Java community doesn't do the same. But this is where, you know, Java 5, look it up, one of the early JSRs, was going to introduce isolates, which was going to be right. an in-process you know, in in environments which were almost a complete mirror image of .NET's app domains, which .NET later abandoned because they said, yeah, we don't really need this anymore. And isolates never made it out of the proposal stage. It was supposed to be in Java 5, and it turned out it was going to be a huge amount of rework to fix in terms of the code. And so the JVM engineers just said, we'll just shove that off to the side. And they, I mean, for the longest time, jvm engineers would come up here to seattle and they would meet with the clr engineers and vice versa i mean these two groups you know even during the height of the sniping at one another they were still learning from each other and and it's so it's so easy to trace sometimes where these features come from when you see both sides of the the beds i mean it's kind of fun it's kind of cool
0: i think c-sharp is the first one to have async await right and and or .NET is the first one to have the syntax for async slash away. And then that got cargo-culted into Python and Rust and uh, uh, JavaScript
1: and and, I think the actual etymology, and this is from memory, and I could be wrong about this, but if I remember correctly, uh, JavaScript actually gets to claim this because when JavaScript, so the etymology here is I can tell and I haven't done a significant research here with timelines and whatnot, but I believe mm-hmm. JavaScript with node callbacks, that's where this begins, right? You pass in a yeah. block of code, you pass in a callback, and then callbacks begat promises.
0: Right. And
1: then promises, the 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 ECMAScript committee said, you know, we can take the dot then, the dot end, et cetera, and we could actually fold that into the language syntax, right? and from there that's when they proposed async and await which i think is when the c sharp folks said that's actually a pretty good idea we'll fold that into the language so c sharp you could say is the first statically typed to introduce async and await as keywords in language although i'm pretty sure javascript you know is vying with them for that honor so i
0: that's because yeah, that means that, it, that means that async await is newer than 2009 which is when node digest came out right like that that uh blows my mind actually also it, it's important to remember that uh like javascript isn't a language it's what you get when you have no time to build a language so it, it c shop is a real first language to have async I still, i'm still correct it's just uh, uh
1: you know i'm gonna see. fight you on that buddy i really ah. am right javascript the the the, the um. The origins of JavaScript notwithstanding, JavaScript is basically a lisp with curly brackets and some additional features that people put in because nobody wanted to just admit that it's a lisp with curly brackets, right? Everything you hate about JavaScript is because they put those features in to make C++ programmers shut up and be comfortable.
0: Yes, right. What do you think of the DHH... uh... There's this whole do you, do you know Daniel Hannemeyer Hansen, the
1: Yeah, Dave Hannemeyer Hansen, yep.
0: yep. Yeah. That guy, Ruben Reels guy. Um uh, and he's he's started this whole sort of um backlash against TypeScript, right? Which makes me sad because TypeScript, like fundamentally, JavaScript is not there's no type system, and so therefore TypeScript is not a compiler, it's a linter. For an unsound type system, and so it's not really good, but it makes you feel better. It's a comforting thing to have before you go to sleep, you know. But it's a lie, but it feels better. It's a, it, it's, it's like drinking alcohol to feel warm in the winter. It doesn't, doesn't, actually work. It makes you colder, but you feel better immediately, you know.
1: But, and, but um, tell us how you really feel, Josh Long.
0: Well, I think it's an abomination, all of it. But, but that's I've, I'm not, I've made no bones about any of that. I'm, all I'm trying to say is, uh, at least TypeScript gives you the sense that. You've got a type system, even though you don't, and and but Dan, Daniel DHH for short um, seems to have very vocally gone out and said, "No, I reject your types and uh, all that rigamarole, and I, I want to just embrace pure JavaScript." Did you see he did this, he did this blog that set off a little backlash?
1: Um, a few well, months ago. so I just, haven't read DHH's blog. Um, but You're lucky. I do remember. I do remember having these exact conversations with guys like, you know, Neil Ford and Glenn Vanderberg mm-hmm. and Mark Richards and so forth during the, the, the heyday of the No Fluff Tour, right? Um, essentially, you know, the... the um, <laughs> nice, nice, Richard. Um, Thanks for nothing. Realistically, I mean, first off, it has a type system. Right. You cannot build a language without there being some semblance of a type system because JavaScript has some semblance of types. Right. Because, you know, they, they have a notion of a string type. They have a notion of you know, what an integer is, et cetera, et cetera. And they are able to do some interesting optimizations based on the fact that. So, for example, if you add two numbers, you're not actually making method calls and whatnot. You're actually getting down to the point where two assembly instructions. There's a dot add there, and you know it's as fast as it is in any other language. Um, and this was, frankly, all of the same criticisms that were leveled at languages like Smalltalk back in back in the day of C Right. The interesting thing is, one of the things that Smalltalk community did was they actually figured out ways in which to optimize all that dynamic code to be really fast, and they put that into an optimizing virtual machine, which they called Strongtalk, which was later bought by a company, which would then folded that into that purchasing company's virtual machine, and it became known as Hotspot. Yeah. All the things you love about the Java just-in-time compiler came from all the optimizations that the dynamic language community was doing. And Strongtalk, the source code is still out there somewhere. If you want to pull it down and look at it, compare yeah. the Strongtalk source code to the Open JDK code, you can see exactly where the lineage is. You can see how all of that came to be. So, the performance argument in, is not really an. Well, the, the performance argument is not really an argument. And as far as I didn't make that, you know, I didn't make that argument well but i'm 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 working up to it i'm working up to it okay the you know part of the thing is the the type safety argument you know javascript javascript will not let you know it, it 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 is type safe in the sense that it does not allow us to do any sort of unmanaged access which of course java and c sharp both do as well so you already get a measure of safety there and when you say hey i you know when i pass a thing in I don't know if this is supposed to be a a number or a string or whatnot. What we're starting to see, and if you look at languages like Python, for example, and there are some experiments in the Ruby space, and I predict they'll probably start showing up in the JavaScript space as well. We are starting to realize that neither statically nor dynamically typed languages are the answer. It's really a combination of both. Because the arguments that Neil and I in particular used to have, Neil was a big, big Rubyist at the time, back when Dave Thomas was really, he was really pushing Ruby back then before he- Pickaxe had, you know, Day into not, his, not- Right, right, right. Yeah, Pickaxe, the Pickaxe book. One of the things about dynamic languages is they really allow you to be more expressive, that I can just do things in the language, regardless of whether the language was originally designed to do that. Whereas in a statically typed language, it's much, much harder to do. You have to worry a great deal more about syntax and so forth. And one of the things that dynamic languages often allow for is being able to create um, create new axes of design that we don't see in a statically typed language or in a statically typed language that, you know, uh, doesn't incur a huge performance hit and the poster child for this is reflection. Every time you use any of your favorite object relational mappers that go into yeah. the database and extract a row of data and then use names to bind them to the elements in a class yeah. all of that is essentially what you're doing in a dynamic typed language and it would be a heck of a lot faster to do in a language like you know JavaScript or Python and Frankly, um, reflection, as Java understands it, is really only half the story. The other half is being able to change those method implementations and being able to do some of the monkey patching, right? Where we actually replace existing implementations with something else or we decorate it. Yeah. And frankly, all of that is what gave us languages like Aspect J. So there's a tremendous amount of power there, but you yeah. know, Neil said it once best, he's like, look, if you want to juggle chainsaws, you'd better know how to juggle and you'd better be comfortable around chainsaws. Otherwise, yeah, go back to using, you know, go back to using a, a, a knife and a hatchet and you know, all the safety gear and so forth. As a developer, do you really want your language protecting you from yourself? Or do you want your language allowing you to do what you want it to do? Where do you feel on that continuum? And Frankly, that is really a personal choice or an organizational choice, whether we're talking about code or whether we're talking about databases, right SQL versus NoSQL it's often the same discussion
0: I'm gonna we're gonna agree right there you you just found the uh, the, the perfect juncture the, 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 if you're cool juggling live chainsaws
1: running chainsaws.
0: Limited. limited chainsaws Then you should be using javascript that's it that's fair we agree on that 100 percent. i'm good we can leave it there you win that's that's the right that i'm on that same page <laughs> um but i i'm not so i'm gonna I, i'm gonna just not juggle chainsaws but uh i get that people want to you know by the way i love uh, um uh like small talk
1: i mean have you ever used objective objective c oh yeah iOS know. developer over here, right? You yeah. can't go too far without running into it. Yep.
0: I love Objective C because of the small talk influence. That message dispatch, as opposed to method invocation, so, so you know that is oh such a good and but but it's also got a type system, right? Which is nice. You mentioned uh, monkey patching, right, for uh, JavaScript and Lisp and the like. And I I wish Java had some more of that meta programming. But certainly you've seen in Scala and in Kotlin, you do have these extension functions and the ability to override things. While still keeping the compiler sort of in the loop of what's happening there, uh, It's just if really easy really, to get when you mix really stuff. If you like
1: playing with Smalltalk, if you really like that that whole sort of block based approach, yeah. um, there is a there is an existing language called Io. Literally yeah. the letters I and O. Uh, it's native, but it's very very heavily influenced by Smalltalk nice. and Self and those others. And then Olabini, who's a name that I haven't heard in quite a long is time, he out of prison. I believe he was released finally. I believe I've seen tweets from him uh, from in Ecuador, which is where he's been residing. But I believe he has been formally released, and I think charges were dropped. But um, I knew Ola when we were together at at ThoughtWorks. And if if you've not heard that name, Ola Ola Beanie, B I N I Ola
0: had a great such a weird wonderful book,
1: and. Ola was one of those who really um, he was one of the guys that I could really kind of geek out with around languages. Uh, One of the few people in the world I met who had ever written OCaml in a non-trivial way. Um, And, you know, just ridiculously sharp. And he really he talked a great deal about, you know, the intersection of static and dynamic languages and when and where you would want to use each. And it really was a profoundly influential Post on my own thinking about how we approach yeah. things and and where we should be using some of these languages. So but this is why
0: I like what you said. There's a there's a, a spectrum, a continuum, right? And yeah, I I do think it's got to be somewhere. I think Java strikes a nice balance, being being pretty dynamic, but also having a compiler and a, you know some upfront validation. Kotlin does a better job still, but you know the the absence of all that is where I get a little. Uh, yeah. Man, Ola. I So, for people who don't know about Ola, <clears throat> he was caught up in that whole uh, paper, the 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 WikiLeaks,
1: WikiLeaks, thing. and and some of the the follow up. And um, Ola Ola is a extremely progressive personality, and got caught up in a lot of the things. And frankly, was persecuted by the Ecuadorian government, you know, for it um you know i don't necessarily agree with all of the choices that he made but i mean ola is nothing but a straight shooter solid type individual all of my interactions Mm -hmm. with him you know if he said if he said the sky is red i would start looking for the evidence that suggested why he believes the sky is red i mean because you know he's too smart to not say that without there being a reason (laughs) right um So, um, and he created a, a JVM based variant of IO called Ioki, Ioki yeah. e, which was really fun to play with right now. Yeah. I don't think it's seen any update in probably 10 years, <laughs> but, um, it really, you know, it really starts to kind of, you know, open your brain a little bit in terms of yeah. different language designs. And, one of the things that that you know many of these block-based languages will teach you is that, for example, it's completely conceivable to have a programming language with no if keyword in it, because that's exactly what Smalltalk did, right? You have these Boolean objects that have an if true and an if false method. And essentially, depending upon which one of those, either the true instance or the false instance, right? If true or if false are basically a no op, and then you pass in the block that is executed for the if true on the true object and the if false for the false object. Right, And it just starts to like, oh, this is metaprogramming in such a fundamental way. And you really start to see how the syntax between the keywords of the language and the actual constructs that we can build in the language really start to blur. And it really, really opens up all kinds of interesting ideas and so forth. Which I personally, I mean, that's one of the things that F sharp does better than C sharp in many respects, in my opinion, is it doesn't it doesn't rely on language. Yeah. I mean Scala to to Scala to a lesser degree, but still, I mean, they were both coming from some of the same same space. You know, they really said they really said we don't wanna like introduce all these new keywords in the language. We want to keep the, the keyword space very, very small. Right. But we want to have all of these concepts. and you know, if JavaScript were not hamstrung by its c-based family language history, it would be able to do a lot of the same sorts of things,
0: uh, which is no. why,
1: you know I kind of I was kind of voting for some of the other languages on the JavaScript ecosystem to to win, right but um, typescript, you know, typescript clearly resonates with the C sharp and Java developers of the world, because it's very very similar, and um, you know what? That's 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 actually cool because particularly when you're building some of those foundational pieces, that was part of Ola's you know inverted pyramid. Right. The closer you get to the operating system, the more you really need those type guarantees. When you get up to the top level, like <laughs> you know when when I'm when I'm talking to my kids about Android development, I'm like, look, you're top of the stack. You don't care about public and private. You don't care about encapsulation. You don't care about so many of these different things because nobody's ever going to use you as a library. You are literally the top of the stack code. So so many of those rules that are painstakingly drilled into you in your intro to Java class just don't matter anymore.
0: Uh, Great question here. Great question from the community. Speaking about languages, what is your take on the Swift language? Can I go first? I like it. It reminds me of a, a really really it it, it, it it if you've done TypeScript or Kotlin, it it there's a lot you can just pick up quickly. But I do like it and I, and I like uh, LLVM as just a platform as well. And it makes sense that Kotlin Native is also targeting that because it's just such a win, you know, in terms of an ecosystem. Okay, that's the easy answer. What
1: about yours? No, um, my answer is very much a yes and, right? I like Swift. um, And part of the reason I like Swift is because they made a lot of the same sort of language decisions that Kotlin did. As a matter of fact, rumor has it that when Swift was first announced, uh, some of the folks over at JetBrains were really kind of miffed because the syntax for Swift looks almost identical to that of Kotlin. Like, hey, they just stole our language. Do you remember um, this? Do you I, remember the,
0: there was actually, there were people from the Goovy camp claiming it was uh, based on Gooby. There's people from the Scala camp claiming it was based on Scala. And there's people from the Kotlin camp claiming it was based on Kotlin. And I don't think Apple ever, you know, in their secretive uh, volcano manner hideaway uh, style, they don't, I don't think they ever confirmed as much. I
1: certainly didn't pay enough attention. The language designer, I mean, you know, it, it uh something or christian latiner i think his name is um i mean he's no stranger to programming languages right so of course he looked at all of these right because this is what language designers do they get together at conferences and they're like what is your language oh oh that's kind of a cool idea i'm gonna steal that from my language because that's what they all do right uh when you
0: when you describe that i'm imagining a like a expo fair with people with like little booths with their language syntax sprayed on a painted on the wall and it's like oh would you like to try a sample of ruby or try a sample of OCaml? yeah i don't know the way you describe it yeah, it, makes it sound really cute and fun
1: but that's exactly what they do right i mean i'm an amateur language designer right <clears throat> i have spent a non-trivial amount of time thinking about grammars and code generators and so forth and um I spend time crawling GitHub periodically. I'll just do a search on GitHub for programming language and just look at the repositories that come up. The first, you know, hundred, you know, instances, yeah, they've been around for a number of years. I'm looking for everything that follows after that. <clears throat> and people are out there constantly, you know, like like coming up with these interesting ideas and so forth. I was just, this is a crazy story. I was literally just playing Starcraft 2 uh, a week ago. And, um, well, but yeah, you know, you see, you see this, right? I am old and, uh, was paired up in a session with somebody who turned out to be a graduate student also at the university of Washington, who is working on a new programming language called Husky, because of course, UW Seattle are the Huskies as everybody knows, because they lost to Michigan in the big sports ball game. Anyway, um, I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. So I start looking at this language and, you know, so much of it is completely unspecified, completely left as a to-do. And that's, those are when, you know, those are the places that language designers love to rummage around. You've got the idea, it hasn't been so fully baked, that you can often take it, hold it a little bit, permeate it. There are languages like, you know, Red uh, that was based off of Reball, which is also a block-based language, et cetera, et cetera. You're constantly stealing from everybody. You know, kind of like how Joseph Campbell says there's only like seven basic plots to every story that every human has ever heard. Right. There's really only probably about a dozen concepts to any programming language and how you express it, et cetera. And Swift... Swift chooses syntax and semantics that are very similar to what we see in Kotlin based off of what we, you know, based off of what we've, we've often, you know, we've come to understand, right? We, we, we've learned a bunch of things in the last 20 years, such as inheritance is not really a vector for reuse because that gets you into trouble, right? Witness the Stack or Java util stack class inheriting from vector and we all went ah terrible which led to the design of the java collections library in java 1.2 and so on and so forth. we learn these lessons as we go yeah and swift being designed at roughly the same time kotlin was swift made a lot of the same answers and you know the interesting difference is swift out of the box compiles directly the native code which back in the day kotlin didn't right so they had to make some interesting choices the other is they really had to prioritize objective c backwards compatibility and so swift has some nods to the objective c message dispatch stuff that you don't yeah. see in kotlin because you know key value coding such right. a big deal in objective c i love it completely completely absent from from um kotlin because it didn't need to be there so and, and i wish that that's one of my
0: favorite things about objective c is like find by name and Date and they, you know, and you can pass in these parameters that are part of the method prototype. It's just it reads so much more nicely, and it, it like not it's not about var args, it's not about overloads. It's just right. this really readable. Oh, so good! I, I'm a huge fan. But oh, this please, this oh, is, oh,
1: go ahead, go 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 ahead. What were you going to say?
0: You were pointing just at the screen. One yeah. sentence, which is Chris Lattner. He's the one who created Swift as well, right? Didn't he leave? I yes. think he's longer at Apple. On Swift I you think I
1: heard that. I think I heard that he had left Apple. Um, <clears throat> but yes, he was one of the uh, he was one of the the uh, founders or creators of LLVM, which is um, one of the great uh, backend tool chains. I mean, it's one of the great targets, right, um, yeah. for any language. You see lots of languages that are targeting LLVM as a backend which is great because it opens up so many things, uh, including GraalVM. GraalVM will actually understand LLVM bit code. I, um, I keep waiting for
0: Pearl 6 parent right. VM.
1: Oh God.
0: Uh, oh God. <laughs> I'm, that's gonna be the one. CLR, take uh, that.
1: And Josh here, I had so much respect for you. And I uh, had to go and say that. Oh my God. I can't, I can't, come on. I, I, being the being the virtual machine um, um, fetishizer that I am, I absolutely you? followed. I, I, all I, I followed Parrot, and I really wanted to see where they would go and how they would approach it. And um, you know I think work has officially stopped. I mean, the code is still out there. Um, but you know, um Parrot was interesting because they wanted to build a virtual machine that was specifically for dynamic languages. But they wanted to do it in almost complete absence of any awareness of anything that had come before, yeah. which is never a great idea. And I think the fact that they, you know, what are we celebrating—the 25th anniversary of Pearl Six's announcement? Right. You know, I mean, they've never actually shipped anything. Um, yeah.
0: well, so, did they ship a Pearl Seven? I mean, like, did they just no, no the Pearl run? Six has yeah. never
1: shipped. Yeah. Pearl out there is still Pearl five, Pearl six, never shipped as far as I know. Parrot yeah, certainly never shipped. Um, yeah. I mean, this is why, you know, because my understanding was Larry wall was finally going to sit down and write a specification for Pearl six because they had never had a language spec in all the years of Pearl. He was finally going to write a spec. Yeah. And on. I think that was the last anybody ever saw of it. I mean, I I would not be surprised if he's not like sitting in the basement of a, of an institution rocking because the act of trying to do so, you know, HP Lovecraftian style blew his brain. I mean, just broke the brain. Has, yeah. He's got a
0: large beard and he's just scratching at the at his chin and at the wall, you know, like
1: oh, incomprehensible God. symbols on the wall. I mean Larry Larry's a fascinating guy. I've had the, the onion interact Union. with him. What's that? that well, first of all,
0: incomprehensible symbols, that's Pearl, it, it runs in Pearl. But second well, of all, there you go. the State of the Onion, I used to love Larry Larry's State of the Onion talks at uh, at uh, OSCON, right, or wherever he did them, he yeah. did them all over that yeah. was like, because he's, he's hysterical, right? He's a really, really funny human being and I loved his talks, but that, I don't know, it's a, it's a different time, anyway. Go on, sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, I had the chance back when Pearl Six and Parrot were first getting started, I was at a food Camp. Uh, a bunch of us No Fluffers yeah. had been invited to food Camp. Um, Dave Thomas was there. Jason Hunter was there. And Peter Drayton, who was a buddy of mine from Developmenter in the .NET space, he later went to go work on the CLR for a little while at Microsoft, etc. You know, there was like a hey, let's do a little you know ad hoc virtual machine get together, and a couple of the Parrot folks were there, and. You know, we sat down and, you know, we were talking a little bit about virtual machine implementation and Dave in particular, again, pickaxe Dave, was really trying to drill in a little bit on how Parrot would handle some of the cross-language compatibility. You know, if I take a Ruby hash and pass it over to Python, you know, know, how does it behave? How does it act? And they said, oh, it'll be a Ruby hash. He's like, yes, but what's it going to look like from the Pythons? Oh, it'll look like a Python hash or it'll look like a Ruby hash. They said, okay, but like if What's I that? use some of the, how are you going? And part of what we were trying to drill towards is that Microsoft folks spent a tremendous amount of time putting together a set of fundamental rules for their virtual machine that was you know, codified in the ECMA yeah. standards for the CLR to describe how this thing would behave as all these different language came to party on on top of the CLR. And the parent folks were just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do any of that. We're just gonna, you know, we're just gonna hack and it'll just work. And all of us were kind of like, "Oh, oh, you are so doomed! You are yeah. so doomed!" And so I've been watching Parrot ever since because it was like watching, you know, it's like watching a car accident in slow motion. You're just like, "Oh, oh no, here it comes! Here it comes!" So oh, there's a question I think in the uh, in the, uh, the chat here. I can Your favorite and your worst.
0: Or, least favorite, I suppose, uh, language. Hard to pick.
1: Well, my distaste for Pearl has, has long been established, but now that Pearl is kind of dead, um, I don't know that I have a least favorite language, really. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the joke I will frequently use because people would often come up to you know, hey Ted, your Java, your C Sharp, which one is your favorite? What do you, secretly, what do you code in when nobody's you know around? You close the door and draw the curtains. You're all alone. Nobody, you know. Um, and the response I would often give is, "Those of you who have kids and have more than one kid, which kid is your favorite?" And of course, the answer is, "Oh no, I love them both." But truthfully, if we're really honest with ourselves, we love our children, but we love them differently. Right. My oldest, he's a programmer. He actually works at Rocket Mortgage, as a matter of fact. Uh, He's been there now for a couple of years. Loves it. Loves the team that he's on. He is slinging C-sharp and TypeScript and all this stuff that we've been talking about. Loving it to death. My youngest, he's a chef. He loves to cook. He, he, you know, does all these different things. And, um, you know, I love them both them differently. I can geek out with my oldest. We can talk about coding jokes and, you know, finally he starts to understand my my programmer humor and, you know, the XKCD, you know, cuz he's lived some of them and, you know, some of the older Dilberts is like, "Oh my god, that's so funny because that just happened at work the other day, blah blah blah." <laughs> my youngest doesn't get those jokes, right? My wife gets a little bit, but really not really, right? And that's kind of the way I look at all these different programming languages, because they're all different. They all they all like stress different things. They all have different approaches. They see the world differently. Yeah. And so some of the things, you know, more recently, I've been, you know, with my copious amounts of free time, I've been running a DD and d campaign for some of my friends from college because we just do it online over Roll 20. And I said, you know what? I always like, you know, homebrewing, building my own world and creating some of my own rules, et cetera um so i'm gonna do all of this in classic geek fashion i basically built a website out of it right and the website is all you know statically generated from markdown using Jekyll, because that was one of the easiest ssgs to get going yeah but then i wanted to start building out you know non-player characters that followed some of the same rules as player characters and rather than tediously roll the dice and whatnot i'm like i have to automate this I have to automate this and I know I'm gonna have to do a whole bunch of crazy things using names. And so I said, I'm gonna do it all in Python. And I'm actually going to embed the Python as code blocks in the markdown. This is a style of literate programming where rather than putting comments to code, you put code inside of prose, and then run tools to actually compile the code out of the prose. This is what Donald Knuth was doing with his web uh, system. Yeah, And I mean, I was able to get the prototype up and running in seconds. I mean, it was just ridiculously easy the way Python approaches things because I knew that that was Python. That's how I could do it with Python. Um, and so it's like, you know, I, that I would never try to do this in C Sharp or Java. I would mm-hmm. never try to do this in JavaScript because they are, they they just, you love them each differently and in different ways. So, I don't and really
0: also, have a favorite. I was gonna, I, obviously that's the right answer uh, for me. Um, it's also, the. it's not just the strength of the language, it's the thing you're trying to do where the language might be one of many good choices, right? And so, uh, you know, and I think to Java's credit, it's getting a little bit better now that we have GraalVM and all that, but still like if you ask somebody 10 years ago, hey, I wanna build a CLI, should I ship the JRE and a full jar of all your dependencies for each person? Right, come on, and then and then you see. And I love Python. I've been using Python since Bill Clinton was president, right? I I'm a huge Python fan, uh, but but for the same reason, I I didn't. It doesn't scale as a type system, right? Um, I use the uh, type hints now, but it doesn't make me feel better. It's just like a, a lie I tell myself to go to sleep. Um, but uh, but I, I I've been using Python since one point five. Truly big fan, but. Uh, I wouldn't use that for a CLI either, and it, it was it was with some chagrin that I saw that Amazon and Azure did actually ship their CLIs with Python. I'm like, why? Why would you ship your th- this thing that has to have a runtime on every computer that ever uses it with that language of all things? You know, you can, and so now you have a. I, I just think I mean CLIs are kind of underrated tools. That, you know, I think people don't give them oh, enough attention.
1: Preaching preaching to the choir on that one, Reverend. I think yeah. a strong CLI. Gives you options. Um, gives the people using things options, particularly around automation. Right, yeah. you can't automate a GUI at all, but yeah. you can automate CLI's and you can string them together. Right, that was yeah. that yes. was the core behind Microsoft's PowerShell. Right, yeah. yes, we we can string text together in the common you know Unix shell. Now let's actually expand that to string objects together, and that is the heart and soul of the PowerShell language because it is basically a programming language that masquerades as a interactive shell. So, so
0: cool. um, yeah, I don't know, what do you think of, just uh, as we kind of wind down here, oh, by the way, for those uh, who are joining and you read my mind, because I didn't announce it anywhere, uh, but if you read my mind, my my original intent was to have a quick discussion here uh, with my old friend Ted, and then we'd do a, 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 a screencast. There's no time. There's just not enough time for that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wind down on this discussion and we're gonna stick to this man. It's gonna be amazing.
1: And so I'm gonna softball it here. Okay, you ready? What he, what what he's what he's trying to say, audience, is Ted talks too much and therefore we have no time to go.
0: <laughs> no, no. I'm saying Ted doesn't talk enough, and I'm really grateful for the time I've gotten <laughs> and I wish we had more. Uh, and, and so rather than forcing a screencast, I am really just, I really am so, again, I, I, please don't send me an invoice. I couldn't afford it. This is amazing, amazing, (laughs) um, amazing.
1: I'll tell you what, Josh, buy buy me a Coke next time we're at a conference together. We'll call it even, right?
0: Yes, sir. My pleasure. There you go. Um,
1: What is the, so
0: CLI is different languages. What are your thoughts on, there's this whole other discussion around like Go, Rust, Zig, you know, on that side of the spectrum, the systems programming languages uh, that are, I think is kind of interesting as well. You know, people so, are seeing the, the world though.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, so the systems language, you know, realistically, the reason you go for one of those is because either A, you're working on an operating system, right? Or B, you want to do exactly what you alluded to earlier. I want to build something that doesn't ship a runtime. I don't want to assume anything about the dependencies on the machine. Right. which if you if you scrape that away a little bit you begin to realize that you always have to worry about dependencies right mm-hmm. i mean unless you are building the bootloader itself you always have to you, you make certain assumptions about what's present right, right. how many yeah. <laughs> things okay. yeah i mean even even the jvm has to assume that libc is present somewhere on the machine when it binds to it now we start getting into all the world of dynamic libraries and, and you know Uh, SOs and DILD and DLLs and so forth all the different you know operating systems and so on Um, and you know so it helps with some of the dependency management but um, system languages you know what they really offer is some degree of predictability right if the dependency isn't there it just crashes and we're done and you know you can trace some of those dependencies and you can make sure to include it as part of your installer and blah 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 the other thing is you know of course you start getting into the issues of memory pressure this goes back to some of the old arguments around garbage collection and and knowing when and where things are released and that's where a lot of these system languages are really you know jumping in zig and nim and, and a couple of the others and they've got some really interesting ideas around that i forget which one i think it's nim might be wrong but one of them I was just looking at the other day actually has a construct in the language called defer. So essentially inside of a scope block, you can say defer and pass in a block here. And the idea is that this block of code will be executed regardless of how you leave the scope block, which is exactly what does. No, I don't think it's go. I don't think it's go. Oh. I think it's one of the other ones because I wasn't looking at go. I know that much. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so the idea is essentially like if I allocate something right there immediately, I can write the defer block to unallocate right. it when we leave the scope block, but I can put that right snuggled next to one another because that's entirely why C++ introduced constructors and destructors right. is to be able to tie the allocation and the allocation logic in the same place. But the defer blocks will all be executed essentially in the reverse order of their appearance at the end of the scope block, no matter how you leave. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. That's so brilliant because it's more general purpose than constructors and destructors. Because that was one of the things we got to in C was the RAII, resource, resource acquisition, acquisition is, is initialization. Initialization, right. Yeah. And so we would acquire something on constructor and release it on destructor. And it's like, this deferred thing, that's beautiful. That's awesome.
0: Plus, it has the benefit of keeping things lexically. That's all in one place. You know how exactly. things are being nested and freed and all that. You know
1: exactly. You know, so there's some there's some really interesting, and that's the kind of thing that's you know, heck, Java could embrace because it's purely syntactic sugar, right? A Java compiler could have a defer block and go, oh, sure, we can just tuck that at the end. We basically turn the whole thing into a try catch block, and those are now our finalies. We're yeah, yeah exactly.
0: I was gonna say that would be like a superset of the finally mechanism. Yeah, exactly. A, I'm just saying.
1: Like, and so these system languages are great because you know, a they usually control the naming of the symbols that come out of the executables, which makes it easy to right. be able to bind to some of the other stuff directly on the underlying operating system. I did a JNI talk for the Seattle Java User Group here a number of years ago where I showed, yeah, sure, this is how JNI works, and here are some of the proposed replacements for JNI. This was a couple of years ago. Yeah, exactly. But all of them are going to require that you be able to control the symbols emitted. So now let me show you a couple of different native languages. Let me show you how to do this in Rust. Let me show you how to do this in Nim. Let me show you how to do this in Zig, because you just have to get the names right, and now you can use your favorite system language along with your favorite runtime language, right and people in the in the user group were like oh my god we thought we were going to be bored to tears by c++ and we're not this is like oh this is you know yeah. um and many of those system languages actually have now special packages for doing some of that you know java native you know interoperability kinds of stuff and it again it just opens up whole worlds right Amazing. um I love system languages. I mean, you know, first love was C++, right? That was, that was the the cute young thing that I fell in love with as a young impressionable programmer. And you never forget your first love, right? <laughs> but C++ is not a cute young thing anymore. And a lot of the things they've done with the language and it's like, Oh, okay. I know why they had to do it, but this isn't the language that I knew and loved back in kindergarten. And you know, we shed a tear for the fact that I'm now old and move on, right? Because yeah. C++, <clears throat> if you use modern C++, you can get a lot of the things that Rust and Nimmin give you. The problem is most C++ code is not modern, and the right. attempt to modernize it has not gone well. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Well, this is that Cambrian explosion of, of, of language features that we kind of were, were bemoaning in C Sharp, right? Like you remember the JavaScript, the good parts, that book, which became a meme? Because it's like this is there's JavaScript the definitive reference is like this big, but then the good parts is like big and then yeah empty. yeah exactly and, uh, and I think I worry about C see you could definitely for already today you could do the same for C plus plus and if what you're saying is true about C sharp and I, I don't I have no reason to doubt you I just don't know um, then yep. maybe one day that'll be the same plight we find ourselves there and you know given a long enough extent maybe that'll be also true for Java if uh, in the sweep of a hundred years whatever.
1: Well, this is why I keep telling people, right, you know, we are using languages that were designed back in the late 80s, early 90s, right? Yeah. And we don't even use fighter aircraft designed back in that era, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, the F-14, the F-15, the F-16, they're all being slowly retired out of the right. U.S. military. Um, you know, Top Gun Maverick, right? You know, they jump into this thing, and Tom Cruise. It's been a minute, huh, Matt? Yeah. That really needs to be a meme where he <laughs> jumps in and you see the instrument panel, you know, and then Rooster jumps in the back. Oh, my God, it's so old, Java. Um, you know, we really need to figure out, we need to take the next step. We need to to get to the next paradigm, really, elevate the abstraction level up. And that's part is, of why I keep looking at languages. What is uh, your?
0: I don't know, so... What, is your, what are your thoughts on Q Sharp and the quantum
1: stuff, you know? Until I, I can have a quantum computer on my desktop, it's, oh, okay. it's cloud only. And yeah. realistically, it's not general purpose, right? I mean, you could do some amazing things with all the quantum computing and so forth. But that's one of the problems that people ran into. And a lot of our traditional approaches don't hold anymore, right? right? You're not going to buy time. It kind of goes back to the mainframe era right? When, when execution time was vastly more expensive than programmer time. So you don't do all of these things like unit tests and so forth. You just, you you carefully craft out what you're going to do, and then you submit it for execution. We're kind of back to that space when we talk about the quantum stuff. So, you know, maybe maybe before I die, I'll have a quantum computer on my desktop, maybe, maybe. but I'm not holding my breath on that one. Um there are other things that I really think are interesting to go after long before we get to the quantum stuff. So, so,
0: Yeah. Um, my friend, I am so, so grateful for you. As always, this has been, I, I had no idea what we're going to, I thought we were going to talk about Kotlin. We did. Technically, that was a thing we talked about. But <laughs> just, <laughs> so much better. This is so good. So good. Um yeah, thanks. I hope you got something out of this, everybody. This is uh, one of the best in the in the in the in the game, and and one of the best people.
1: Um, thank you. And 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 there's me, right? There's Josh, one of the best people, one of the best of the game. And then there's people. he's.
0: So. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks. I think I'm actually keeping you from food. Like it's lunchtime, or no? It's well past lunchtime. It's near dinner time for you, but
1: you're. Yeah, well, we're a bunch of uh, night owls over here. We typically don't do lunch until three or four in the afternoon, anyway. So that's on us. But, but then, yeah, we're hungry. Move. We're gonna we're gonna get out of here.
0: We're so. both in uh, West Coast, Cal- West Coast okay. of the states. It, when, when sunset for you? It's for me. It's like four four thirty. Oh,
1: it's dark right now. It's oh, yeah. it's, it's twilight right now. Because remember, we are what two thousand something? You know, fifteen hundred miles north of you right so yeah um the solstice i think it's dark by four and it's not light again until eight i mean ridiculously long nights the flip side though is summer's here summer's amazing oh yes absolutely Absolutely amazing so all right man you take care and we'll talk soon bye buddy bye everybody
0: I sampled music from Steve Combs' Them from Morning in Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, And if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.